0: What happens in your own life if you lose the wonder of His mercy? What happens in the church if we lose the wonder of His mercy? Well, we're about to find out. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, one of the most well known books in the entire Old Testament. But probably also one of the least understood. I mean, I know you know the basics. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show a, a brief animated short that encapsulizes or summarizes the book of Jonah and uh, see which elements of the book you can relate to or you remember as you watch this brief cartoon. Jonah. <laughs> Well, there you have it, <laughs> Jonah in forty seconds. We can all go home. Now, there are, are a lot of elements of truth uh, to that animated short. Uh, God does, in fact, appear to Jonah. He does tell Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, I need to understand. Uh, this is in the eighth century BC. Uh, it's a time when the when the empire of Assyria. Uh, is sort of in between its time of power. Uh, Nineveh is the capital. Nineveh is where modern-day Mosul, uh, Iraq, is. It's about 600 miles northeast of uh, Israel. And when God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, the short actually does reveal that uh, Jonah freaks out and runs the other way literally the other way, the opposite way. He goes to a place called Joppa that we'll see about in a second that was directly opposite of Nineveh. Nineveh was northeast of Israel. Joppa was southwest of Israel. And then he's wanting to take a boat to Tarshish. Tarshish, we'll find out, is in southwestern Spain. It's 2,500 miles away from where Jonah was supposed to go. And then God pursues Jonah with a storm on the boat. And then the sailors on the boat uh, throw him off the boat. And then God sends a great fish who swallows Jonah, takes Jonah to where he's supposed to be, spits him out on the land. He does preach the gospel to Nineveh. They do repent. And then everybody lives happily ever after. No. That's not what happens. I mean, all the rest of that that I just said before that phrase does happen. Now, what we know from from history then is that uh, within 70 to 100 years of Nineveh repenting, she comes back to power, backslides, and ends up being the people that conquers the northern kingdom. Now, for those of you who uh, don't remember, uh, the Davidic kingdom, when David was king, was divided in two during the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. There was David, there was Solomon, there was Rehoboam. Under David and Solomon, they had a united kingdom, but under Rehoboam, who got some bad advice and bad counsel... uh, Rehoboam's attitude divided the kingdom and ten tribes of Israel formed a separate country in the north that they called Israel. And the capital of that nation was Samaria. Now there were just a few prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel where Samaria was the capital. In the earlier days there was Elijah, then there was Elisha. And then there are three prophets that uh, we also probably remember, may not know, that they were sent to the northern tribes, and that is Jonah, Hosea, and Amos. Now, Hosea and Amos stayed within the confines of Israel, and they preached to the church in Israel about her rebellion and her need to repent. But God gave Jonah the more difficult task, of leaving Israel and going to Israel's enemy 600 miles away and preaching repentance to Nineveh. Now, what you need to know is Hosea and Amos had already prophesied that Assyria and Nineveh was actually going to be the tool that God used to judge the northern nation. And so Jonah's giving the ta- given the task to go to Israel's enemies who will eventually conquer Israel, to offer them grace by telling them they need to repent. Of course, the two southern tribes, uh, they formed the nation of Judah, and Jerusalem was the capital. But Jonah is focusing on those northern tribes. And what we learn through the book of Jonah is to ask ourselves this question. Can you know what's in the world, all of its evil, all of its wickedness, all of its brokenness, and still love the world? Now, when I say love the world, I don't mean the way the Apostle John says in his first letter, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't mean that. We're not talking about loving the sin and wickedness in the world. I'm saying, can you see the world in all of its sin, in all of its wickedness, in all of its rebellion, even in its God-hating ways, and still love the world enough to share God's grace with it? Frankly, it was too much for Jonah. Jonah wrestled with God's justice and God's mercy. How could God be just and then show mercy to a nation that was going to conquer God's people? And, of course, in 722 B.C., the Ninevites did, in fact, the Assyrians attacked the northern nation and sacked Samaria and carried off the northern tribes, deporting them into the empire of Assyria. What would you have done? What is your attitude toward the world right now? I mean, let's face it, the world's a mess, right? But what's your attitude toward the world? Jonah's attitude toward Nineveh was let her go to hell. Now, you may not say that, but what does the world hear from your life? What do they see in your attitudes? What do they hear in your words? What do they discern from your actions or the lack of your actions? Jonah exposes our hearts as God asks the question, Can you see the world and still love it? Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. This is God's Word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice that the text repeats Tarshish three times. In other words, God is trying to make it clear to the people that Jonah was going the exact opposite direction in which God told him to go. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Yeah, he's really proven that, isn't he? How much he fears the Lord. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? To get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, and errant and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. He wants us to know that he relentlessly pursues us in his grace. And he wants our own hearts to be softened to a world that he wants to pursue as well. Let's pray. Father, would you kindly and gently expose our attitudes toward the world and how they need to be changed? God, make us a people willing to pursue the lost that they may enter the joy and the peace that we ourselves have been given. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The, The theme of our series I'm calling Relentless Pursuit. The book of Jonah is not really about Jonah. The book of Jonah is not really about Nineveh. The book of Jonah certainly isn't primarily about a great fish. The book of Jonah is about Jonah's God. The book of Jonah is about the God who lives. The God who is. The creator of the universe. The book of Jonah is all about the justice and mercy of God. And we have to hold both of those elements of his character in tension. We find in this book that God is in fact just. He's sending Jonah to proclaim judgment against Nineveh unless they repent. But we see his mercy in sending Jonah to Nineveh to give them an opportunity to repent. Can you look at the world in all of its wickedness, evil, and brokenness, and still love the world? That's what God calls Jonah to do. That's what God calls us to do. So we see three kinds or three types of brokenness in this world that we're, we're supposed to see. We're not supposed to ignore. But even as we see it, we're to love the world and seek to relentlessly pursue them to the ends of the earth By the gospel of grace for the glory of God. First of all, praise God for his relentless pursuit of the rebel. There are four examples of rebels in this passage. First of all, of course, they're the Ninevites. You need to know the Assyrians were a terrorist state. They were awful. They didn't just conquer people. They destroyed them. They decapitated citizens that they conquered. They dismembered people. Men, women, children. They were one of the most brutal peoples in the the 8th century B.C. No wonder that Jonah wanted nothing to do with bringing them the gospel. Especially when he knew that they were the people that were going to run over Israel eventually. How would you like to go to the people who are going to brutally treat your extended family in 75 to 100 years? We can start to feel some sympathy for Jonah not wanting to love the world. And yet what God seeks to teach Jonah, who is the second rebel in this passage is that the only difference between he and the Ninevites was grace. As a matter of fact, the only difference between any of us and the Ninevites is grace. We are all born rebels. And we would continue in our rebellion unless God relentlessly pursued us in his grace to change us. You see, Jonah didn't sing the song we finished with. Jonah wasn't reminded constantly of the wonder of God's mercy. Jonah actually began to think that he was better than the world, that the nation of Israel was better than the other nations. When in fact... We're all rebels. Some of us changed by grace. The rest of the world needing to be pursued in grace. The third example of rebels in this text are the sailors, the mariners. We find out that they all called out to their pagan gods. And yet, God relentlessly pursued them as well. Think about this. God pursued rebellious Nineveh by sending Jonah. God pursued rebellious Jonah by sending the storm and the fish. God pursued the rebellious mariners by actually allowing Jonah in his rebellion to be on the ship so that they would end up hearing the gospel And as we'll find out next week, the pagan sailors on the ship all become converted. God relentlessly pursues the rebellious. Maybe you're wrestling with rebellion right now in some area of your life. Maybe you've always been a rebel. Or maybe you've never been a rebel in your own eyes. And when you see the world's rebellion, you're filled with anger, with disgust, with disdain. No, God relentlessly pursues the rebel. See, Jonah began to think that even if he wrestled a bit with self-righteousness and nationalism, that his sin wasn't as great as the self-indulgence of the Ninevites. That's always a trap for the religious, to think that self-righteousness is less rebellious than self-indulgence. It's not. Some people run away to religiosity, other people run away to irreligiosity, but it's all a sign of rebellion. What's the attitude the world gets from your life, from your words? What conversations do you have with each other throughout the week as Christians? How do you talk about the world? Don't think for a moment that you can talk about the world with disgust and disdain with each other. And the world not feel that in your soul. Don't think for a moment that you can talk amongst each other and spew forth hatred and disdain and disgust for the world and not think the world can't sense that. The only way we will pursue the world with the relentless pursuit of grace with which God pursues us, is as we recognize our own tendency to be rebels. And God melts our hearts by revealing his pursuit of us as the undeserving. And then as we experience God's pursuit for us as rebels, then we're softened toward the world And are willing to pursue them as we have been pursued. Praise God for His relentless pursuit of the rebel. Secondly, praise God for His relentless pursuit of the runaway. Clearly, Jonah is a runaway in this text. Twice we're told he's running away. Look at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. First of all, if you're a prophet, not so bright. I mean, how do you flee from God? Psalm 139, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? I mean, he's God. What are you thinking, Jonah? Well, he probably knows theologically he can't run away from God's presence. But he's trying to avoid God's will. He's trying to avoid God's calling. He's trying to avoid preaching grace to the wicked, nasty Ninevites, and so he runs the opposite direction from where he's supposed to go. It also says in verse ten that the men, the sailors, the mariners, they knew he was fleeing in the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. That would have been an interesting conversation. Who are you, Jonah? What are you doing? Run away from the God of the universe? Really? Why? Well, you see, there are these Ninevites, a bunch of pagans, they're idolaters, and there's no way I want to offer them grace. I'm running away. Well, now, what do the mariners think? Huh. so the Ninevites don't worship your God, and you despise him and hate him. So what are you saying about us? you despise and hate us too? And your God must then, since you're a worshiper of Jehovah, He must hate us too? Do you see what I'm getting at? How does the world perceive God looks at them through the lives of the church, through the lives of Christians? How does the world perceive God looks at your Sphere of influence based on how you talk and what you do. Can you see the world and all of its wickedness and all of its rebellion and all of its evil and still love the world? Look, God can. Jonah only had to go 600 miles from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus bridged the gap of infinity as he came from heaven to earth because God relentlessly pursues the runaways we're all runaways. Adam, at his first sin, he ran away and he hid. And every single one of us is born as runaways. And we're always running away from God. U2 has this great song. You need to listen to it today. It's called The First Time. And it goes through the Trinity. It goes through the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And when it gets to the Son... Bono says, I have a brother, a brother like no other. I spend all my time running. He always is running after me. Tim Keller calls Jonah the prodigal prophet. We we see a, a prefiguring of the parable of the prodigal sons in Luke 15 through the prophet Jonah. We see, first of all, Jonah running away in rebellion. Exactly the way the younger son did. He left the father and went to a distant land. And eventually he came to his senses because he realized how rough sin was. And Jonah, in a sense, we'll find out, comes to his senses because God relentlessly pursues him with severe mercy to draw him back. But Jonah's also the older son. Jonah is filled with self-righteousness about being a Christian. He's filled with self-righteousness over being part of Israel. And when God wants to show relentless grace to the Ninevites, Jonah is just like the elder brother in the par- parable of the Of the prodigal son. When the younger son comes back after squandering all of the father's inheritance on loose living, the older son will not even go into the room. I can't believe you would show mercy to that joker. And the father pleaded with the elder son to come in. I'm concerned that in our day, the church has become the elder brother to the world, the younger brother. And we've drawn the conclusion that runaways don't deserve grace. Who does? How have you run away? How might you be running away even today? And yet... Forgetting God's relentless pursuit of us as runaways. We can be so self-righteous to the world. The world can tell when we hold them in contempt. I don't know where the church has gotten this idea that somehow we're standing up for God if we hate the world. I don't know where we've gotten this idea that we're standing up for God if we get all angry and get disgusted and despise the world. You don't see that in Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's almost like we've just become an angry people that we're just ticked off all the time. what if God treated us that way? Trust me, I do plenty of things to tick off a holy God. And yet it is mercy constantly pursuing me that melts my heart. And I can look at the world and I can see its wickedness and its evil, its depravity even. But I can still love the world. Because the only difference between me and the world is grace. And then thirdly and finally, praise God not only for His relentless pursuit of the rebel, of the runaway, but also praise God for His relentless pursuit of the rejected. The world often feels rejected by the church. the crew felt rejected by Jonah. They find out that everything's happening to them because of Jonah. It's all his fault. But the crew ends up showing more godly grace to Jonah than Jonah showed to them. Jonah put the crew at risk by running away from God in his rebellion. And then Jonah went down into the depths of the ship. He was so filled with apathy, he just didn't care about the crew. But when the crew finds out through lots that it's Jonah's fault, they don't don't immediately believe the lots. They ask him, would you tell us what's going on? Who's to blame? The lots already said who's to blame. But they asked him anyway, who's to blame for what's happening? And they start asking him all these questions. Who are you anyway? Where do you come from? And then Jonah gets all self-righteous. I'm a Hebrew. You're not. I fear the God of heaven. You don't. Look, the sailors already felt rejected. They called out to all their gods and their gods didn't do anything to lift a finger to help them. And you know the world feels that way already? They may not let you see that. But how many times people in the world have turned toward God, likely a God of their own making, but turned toward a God, and that God failed them. And they feel rejected. And then Christians come along and get all self righteous. We're Hebrews, you're not. We worship the God of heaven in the midst of our running away rebellion, by the way. How hypocritical can that be? I worship the God of heaven. Really? I just thought you told us you were running away from him. And the world sees our hypocrisy and our self-righteousness and they're completely turned off. The church in America today has no one to blame but herself. For the world turning up her nose at the gospel. Because we are not relentlessly pursuing the world in love. The world smells our hatred, and the world tastes our disgust. Should we be disgusted at sin? Absolutely. Should we be horrified by the values of a godless culture? Of course. But God pursues us, and we are to pursue others. You know, this this nationalistic, exclusivism, pride of Jonah, it's still alive all around us. It was alive in Jesus' day. See, the Jews in Jesus' day thought Messiah was only for Israel. They thought that Messiah would be a political deliverer that would make Israel great again. And so when Jesus talked about being a God to the Gentiles as well, people freaked out. Jesus is in Galilee in Luke chapter 4, near his hometown, and people are all upset. He's hanging around again with tax collectors and sinners and Gentiles. The rejected Samaritans. The, the Assyrians and, and the Jews of the northern tribes interbred, and they made Samaritans, the worst of the worst, mixed breeds. And Jesus says to the Jews, Now, now wait a minute. There were all kinds of widows in Israel in Elijah's day. There were all kinds of Jewish widows. But Elijah didn't go to a Jewish widow. He went to a Gentile widow. And then Elisha, there were all kinds of lepers in Israel when Elisha was going around healing. But Elisha didn't go to a Jewish leper. A Gentile general named Naaman came to Elisha, and he healed him. And the religious Jews, who were so ingrown and were always into circling the wagons and hating the world because the world's unclean, they actually wanted to kill Jesus for that. We're told that they gathered around him and they were going to throw him off a cliff. But Jesus being God, it wasn't time. He just walked right through them. See, when the church is exposed at being exclusive, now look, the gospel is exclusive. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Buddha won't get you there. Allah won't get you there. No religion will get you there. Even the God of the Old Testament, apart from Jesus, will not get you to heaven. Being a Jew won't get you to heaven. But hoping in the God who relentlessly pursues the rebellious, the runaway, and the rejected. That will bring us eternal life. And as we remember the wonder of mercy, as we reflect on the mercy shown to us, it will melt our heart toward a wicked, cruel world. And Jonah had to learn that lesson, and so often do we, as well. Remember the story I've told about the, the young boy whose dad made him uh, this beautiful toy boat that would actually float in the water. And they had a pond in their in their backyard out, later on down the back uh, yard, and and the father had one rule: the only time you can play with the boat is when I'm with you. Why, Daddy? Well, first of all, because the boat might go out in the water and you can't swim and you might try to go after it and you drown and I love you too much to lose you. But there's also a second reason. And that is, I don't want you to lose the fun of playing with your boat. So don't play with your boat unless I'm with you. Well, one day, sure enough, the boy takes his boat, puts it in the water, and it starts floating away. He starts crying. Thankfully, he doesn't go in after it. The father sees the whole thing happening, runs out, immediately picks up rocks and starts throwing them. The boy is freaking out. Daddy, daddy, don't throw rocks in my boat. Don't hurt my boat. I'm sorry. You don't have to to destroy my boat. And the father knelt down and said, Son, I am not throwing rocks at your boat. I'm throwing rocks beyond your boat to bring the boat back to you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm pursuing you. When the world interacts with you, what do they experience? Are you part of a church that throws rocks at the world? Or are you part of a church that's seeking To woo a wicked world to the love of a father who relentlessly pursues the undeserved in grace. I think we have an incredible opportunity with COVID probably being under control in the next several months. People are hungry they'll respond to a church that can look at the world in all of its wickedness and still love the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for this book. God, we are often so like Jonah. We want grace for ourselves, but justice for everybody else. God, somehow we've bought into the concept that you're pleased when we get all hateful and disgusted with the world. God, if that was the case, we wouldn't be here. So God, forgive us for our self-righteousness. Forgive us for our judgmentalism. God, forgive us just for not loving people. Forgive us for for becoming ingrown. God, forgive us for being just like Jonah. We're asleep in the boat. We just don't care a lot of times. Jesus, make us more like you. Make us like you that leaves the 99 to relentlessly pursue in grace the one. And Jesus, thank you for pursuing this one. And all of us who know you, Jesus, thank you for pursuing the one that is us. And give us love for the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.